here. Uh, Toby, you may be wondering how to pronounce his last name. Toby, uh, I simply say Toby DeBoss because Toby is the boss, okay? So Toby is the boss. He is the director of Crisis Pregnancy Center, has been the director for how long? 19 years. 19 years. So if you want to be in the crosshairs, you have two options. Go join the Navy SEALs or become the director of Crisis <laughs> Pregnancy Center. And I'm amazed that I cannot see through you by so many arrows you have caught yeah, by being in this critical role. Crisis Pregnancy Center uh, reaches out to women in crisis uh, to, to be a safe alternative to abortion. And uh, they provide care and love for women uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, and fathers of children, uh, that they may bring those children to term and either uh, raise them on their own or adopt them. And, and this issue of abortion is so important that I have asked Toby to come and to speak and to preach on life. So I'm very excited for what he's uh, going to say to us today. So without further ado, I will turn it over to you. Thanks, brother. We got a little. A Bible says, Before I formed you in your womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Jeremiah 1 5. For you were created, my angels knew me. He knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works is wonderful. I know that full well. My brain is not hidden from you, and now it's made in a secret place. And I was blown together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes are my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book for one of them came to be. Well, good morning, Redeemer. How are you? Yeah, very good. Hey, um, let me look at you for a second. Did you get enough coffee this morning? Some of you look like you didn't get enough coffee this morning. But I have good news right at the front. Uh, I met Cal and Dot. Where's Cal and Dot? There you go. They were making coffee this morning. So when we're done here, plenty of coffee from Cal and Dot, right? So we're good on that. We'll have enough coffee before the end of our run. Carlos, wow, brother. I mean, that's one way to do it, right? Like stand up and, man. So we need you to help uh, hit up our Walk for Life campaign in all the churches. That's pretty bold right there. I like that. Um, I don't know that I could get away with it, but uh, I appreciate that you did that. Hey, um, Redeemer Church, I just want to say thank you for showing us a lot of love, and especially in, in the last few weeks and months, it's, uh, you know, to have your pastor fill up a van of folks and come to our volunteer orientation. Can you hear me? Is my mic on? Are we good there? Okay. Um, to have your pastor to fill up a bus and bring nine people to our volunteer orientation, that just blessed us so much. And, you know, you put out the welcome wagon for us. Lexi was here last week. Uh, from CPC and was uh, able to talk to your adult Sunday school classes and um, she was encouraged by that and you know uh, 
to have your pastor stand and publicly proclaim, hey, if you're in this situation where you're pregnant and you need help, we'll help you. I mean, that's bold right there. And then for you guys to rally around him and say, yeah, we affirm that statement and we'll do something about it. That says a lot about you. So I get real excited just to even come before you this morning. But from what I understand, Carlos only gave me an hour and a half. So I want to I want to jump in real quick here. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139, we're going to go through 13 through 17. And I'm going to I'm going to walk us through that this morning. But if you would, Psalm 139, 13 through 17. I love to hear pages turning. Like, I don't hear pages turning much anymore when I preach, you know? So that's pretty cool to hear pages turning. Psalm 139, 13 through 17. For you, and, we're, and this is the Lord, right? For you, Lord, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So, hey, Redeemer, before we go any further, let's just set the record straight right here. Your mama didn't make you. Your daddy didn't make you. God made you, and he used them in the process. Understand the distinction? Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully, and that word can also be translated awesomely. I praise you for I am fearfully and awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And I'd say to your Redeemer this morning, on this point, my soul knows it very well. It was August uh, 17th of 2011, and my youngest so uh, uh, son, Sawyer, I have four children, my youngest, Sawyer, was four years old, and he was sick as a dog that day. He was running the fever, and, and um, this was like in the middle of the night, around 2 o'clock in the morning. He was really spiking a fever, and he was miserable. And if, if any of you remember, or as parents, uh, that struggle you have in the middle of the night when your kids get sick, and you just think, well, what do I do here? Do I just go ahead and go to the emergency room, get the antibiotics started so we can get on with this? Or do I wait until 7 o'clock when I can go into the sick side of the pediatrician's office and, and deal with it then? So it's that tension point because your kid's miserable, and you want to give them relief, but you also <laughs> don't want to leave in the middle of the night. But by 3 o'clock in the morning, Sawyer was wailing. He was wailing, and I thought, you know, Karen and I, we just said, hey, we, we, we've just, you know, we just got to get on over to CHKD, and, you know, we'll just get the antibiotics, and we'll just, we'll just come on home. So she took Sawyer on, and I made arrangements for the other kids and joined them very quickly, and, um, and uh, we ended up not uh, coming home that day. We ended up coming home about a month later. Because little did we know that uh, Sawyer was, uh, he was in stage with his kidneys, kidney disease. Um, he has a genetic disorder that impacts so much of his body. And we knew about his eyes, but we didn't know about his kidneys. And so his kidneys were in complete failure. And uh, so instead of coming home, we ended up in ICU, a CHKD, where he started his first dialysis treatment and um, where he continued to have dialysis treatment. And and then even when we came home, he continued to have dialysis treatment. He had peritoneal dialysis. And so when he first came home, he was doing like 16 hours a day of peritoneal dialysis. And then when we moved in two weeks from 16 hours a day of peritoneal dialysis to 10 hours a day of peritoneal dialysis, we were like, praise the Lord, because 16 is so much different than, than 10 for this little guy. And um, so he did the peritoneal dialysis every day for the rest of 2011. And, and he just continued on in 2012 until March 20th, 
of 2012 when my hero wife donated her kidney to him. Transplant day is a beautiful day. It's an awesome day. And it's a horrific day. It's a horrific day because I know Jesus and I have some understanding of the power that outflows from His resurrection. And, and, and if, if, if He could bring others to life, he could, he could, if He so chose, He could resurrect those little kidneys in my son. And I had been praying every day until the moment of transplant, Jesus, have mercy on my son and my wife. And I, and I begged the Lord Jesus to have mercy. And in his infinite wisdom, he has allowed us to walk this path. And the one thing about walking a path like this is he never abandoned us in it. You know what I'm saying? Because we all have struggled at some point, right? And if you haven't, you will. He doesn't abandon us in our struggle. He didn't do that, but in his infinite wisdom, he allowed us to walk this path. So transplant day comes, and it's the answer to my prayers. Like, this is the path you will take. And so we trust the sovereignty in that as we walk it out. But it's also beautiful because this is the day that my son, who's been tethered to this machine, will be free. He'll be free of this machine. And so transplant happens, and it is such a remarkable day that um, there's this one moment that's one of the most remarkable moments, and that's that moment when Dr. Kalana at Norfolk General uh, removes my wife's kidney from her and then he literally he literally like chaperones he 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 walks that kidney over to the children's hospital and then places it inside my son and it's such a remarkable moment that uh the nurse will come out and let us know that hey the kidney has arrived and nurse melissa said it's a big healthy kidney that was her proclamation. It's a big, healthy kidney. And I can assure you later on that night, I think it was like 2 o'clock in the morning when Karen finally woke up and I had just a few seconds with her. Uh, all I told her was it was just a healthy kidney, right? Because you don't tell your wife any part on her is big. You know what I'm saying? Amen, Redeemer? Are you tracking with me? You don't do that. I don't care where the part is located. You don't go there. Amen, uh, brothers, right? You're with me? Yeah, we don't do that. So I just told her it was a healthy kidney. So why at this moment would I take in front of all of you to say that it was so big because it makes the point? And it's this. It was a very large kidney. My son, he was only four. When you have kidney disease, you don't grow like everyone else. So he had a very small frame. And when Dr. Kalana put that kidney in there, he squeezed that kidney in there. He squeezed it in there. And he squeezed it in there, and he hooked it up, and he wouldn't use that kind of terminology, right? But that's, that's where I am in it. He hooked up that kidney, then he zipped them up, and it was tight. It was tight because it was a big, big old kidney. It was so big that immediately he started having problems with his liver. And it was pressing against his liver so much so that for weeks and months later, he was having liver issues as a result of the, the big, healthy kidney being in there. But here's the most, here, here's something that's awesome. We are fearfully and wonderfully and awesomely made. 
My soul knows it well. Because this big, healthy kidney, the moment that Dr. Kalana hooked it up, your eye couldn't see it right away, but what started happening with that kidney is that kidney began to shrink. And it would just continue to shrink and shrink and shrink until it became the perfect size kidney for my son's height and weight and where he is right at that moment. And as it shrunk down to the perfect size, as my son now grows, that kidney has been growing with him. Isn't that phenomenal? Like our God did that. I mean, I have seen every ologist you can think of, the nephrologist, the urologist. I've seen so many of these doctors, and they know so much. It's amazing to me how much these doctors know. But as much as they know, they're still in awe because they don't know it all. They have just begun to start trying to understand and wrap their minds around a kidney. Like we can't do it. The engineering is so awesome. What our God has done in that one part, that one part, the engineering is phenomenal. Like we can't even process it. You get what I'm saying? We are fearfully, awesomely, wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. Verse 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. I have a good friend of mine, Dr. Alan McFarland. He's pastor of Calvary Evangelical Church in Portsmouth. And I heard him preach on Psalm 139 one time. And he said, you know, when God is doing something in secret, you best leave it alone. That's a good word. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And that's symbolic of womb. Verse 16 your eyes saw my unformed substance. So get this, Redeemer. Even before you were formed, like God had his eyes on you. Like he recognized you. When you were not recognizable, he recognized you. Dr. Jerome Lejeune, he is known as the father of modern genetics. And I want to share a quote with you. It's kind of a lengthy quote, but I hope you had enough coffee to handle it this morning. Some of you have not, but you're going to be okay. <laughs> Dr. Jerome Lejeune, he says this. He says, life has a very long history, but each individual has a very neat beginning, the moment of its conception. The material link is the molecular thread of DNA. In each reproductive cell, the ribbon of DNA roughly one meter long, is cut into 23 pieces or chromosomes. Now stay awake with me through the science here, Redeemer. As soon as the 23 paternally derived chromosomes are united through fertilization to the 23 maternal ones, the full genetic meeting necessary to express all inborn qualities of the new individual is gathered and personal constitution takes place. Ending the quote from Dr. Lejeune, he says, to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. So Redeemer, at the moment of fertilization, you are fully 
alive, and fully human. It's really no debate. Continuing with verse 16, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So, even before you were formed, He knew you. But even way before that, like, like all of your days have been ordained for you before one has come into being. And it is hard on this side of eternity. If you haven't felt that yet, you will one day. It is hard on this side of eternity. We live in a world that is broken and fallen far from God. But know this, like, he's got a plan. There's not one thing that he's not aware of. Isn't that somewhat reassuring to you this morning? I don't think you're convinced. And then verse 17, like, we could read just the 16 stop and then skip verse 17. Man, that air conditioning is no joke, is it? I mean, you, you got to go Billy Graham to get, above, to get above that. The sound of freedom. Yes, sir. You don't want to skip verse 17. You don't want to skip verse 17. It's a little awkward in its reading, but don't skip it. So we won't. How precious to me are your thoughts, oh God. Whose thoughts? God's thoughts. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Like, if I could, and there's some little nooks and crannies in this place. This is a cool sanctuary. If I had, if I could just take like a moment with each of you, like just a few seconds with each of you and and speak to you and say anything to you, one of the things I would say to you this morning is this. Every one of you, like God thinks about you so much. He thinks about you all the time. I know you don't believe it because we're not on the new earth yet and he's not dwelling in this place with us. But he is there and he thinks about you all the time. All the time. Psalm 139 is awesome, isn't it? Like God in his infinite wisdom did not have to give us these verses, but he chose to. And it is beautiful. It is beautiful to read this passage. I love this passage. I've read this passage so much in 19 years. And I get so excited that I could come and read this passage with you this morning. When we read passages like this, it begs a question. It does. I mean, you know I'm going there because you can't avoid it. Like when you read a passage like this, it just begs a question. Like, here's the question. Would knowing what we know, knowing what God is doing in that secret, sacred place of the womb, it just begs the question, would we dare to interfere with him when he's doing that work in that secret, sacred place? Would we dare to do it? 
And the answer is, yes, Lord, we do dare. We, we do dare to interfere. We, we have interfered over 60 million times since 1973. Yes, Lord, we would dare to interfere each day in this country. We interfere with him in that secret, sacred place of the womb over 2,400 times a day. A day. Here in Southampton Roads, each year we interfere over 5,000 times a year. The latest statistic we have from the Virginia Department of Health is from 2017, where there were 5,108 little ones who lost their lives to abortion in one year. One year. In numbers, like you can't process numbers. I mean, some of us, including me, don't even have 5,000 in the bank right now. So, you know, what does that, what does 5,000 mean? To put it another way, to put it in perspective for you, for every three babies born in Southampton Roads, one will lose its life to an abortion. And if you understand Psalm 139 correctly, and Jeremiah 1.5, and Job, and so many other places, this is what that means. He knits together this one, and he knits together that one, and he's forming this one, and he's forming that one, and we discard of one. Do you get what I'm saying? And that's the nicest way I can say it. I mean, that's just, that's not even sensational. That's just truth. Truth. We have disposed of life that does not belong to us. We interfere with him when he's doing that work in the secret, sacred place. Redeemer, we need the gospel, right? We need the gospel here. Abortion is a place of deep darkness. We absolutely need the light of the gospel shown into it, correct? Anytime I come, I don't care where I go. I have to tell you, I start wrestling. I wrestled before I, the day of, but in the morning, I just start wrestling for you. I get up at like four, I'm at four this morning, and I start wrestling for you. I come so humbly when I come before you because I, I know who I'm speaking to. Focus on the family reports that one in seven women on the church pew have had an abortion. And, and honestly, that's kind of an old statistic. I, I think it's closer to one in five or one in six now. And so when I come, I know, like, as soon, I mean, as soon as, as soon as we say walk for life, like you're, you're feeling that scab pull off of that old wound, like it starts hurting again because you've experienced this. And, and so when I come, like I, I know you're feeling that, and, and so I'm humbled. I, I, I come to you, and I, and I hope you understand and hear it very clearly. Like I bring no condemnation. If you've listened if you listen really closely to what I'm saying, you're not going to hear condemnation from me. These are the words that I would share with you. Our brother, when he, where's our brother who, who read the, uh, the confession this morning? You know, he read this first, and we'll go back to it, because maybe, maybe you missed it the first time, but let's listen to it again. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, 
There is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so if I had just one thing to say to you, ma'am, or you, sir, you, sir, who you, you paid for the abortion, mom and dad who didn't intervene and you're feeling that the the weight of that in this moment for for not intervening for the life of your grandbaby or your daughter or your son in that moment here's what i want to speak to you and if i'm a heretic i expect carlos because he's so bold right <laughs> he would stand right up and say you heretic right but i don't think he's gonna cross me on this one Here's what I want to say to you. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. It is not. It is not. Jesus died. He loves you so much. He died so that you wouldn't have to because of what happened to your little one. And so I encourage you this morning, like, recognize Jesus as your great rescuer and give your life to him because he is worth everything. Those of you who know him, are you in agreement with me? Isn't he worth everything? You will lose nothing by giving up everything to him. Immerse yourself in Jesus because in Christ, you're free. You're free. You are free. You owe nothing. And then, like as the brother read this morning, in the confession of sin, like I feel your tension point. Because this verse has been read so many times, and those of us who know Jesus, like, like we read this and we'll say, Amen, we're free in Christ. But as you, as you say here, yet I have insisted on living as a slave, though I know I'm free. It's one of the most remarkable things with my brothers and sisters in Christ because in our ministry, we have a whole other ministry to people who have experienced abortion. And, and most of the time, these folks are already believers. They know right here what Jesus has done for them, but they don't get it right here. You know the distinction? And like for some of you in here this morning, I mean, maybe it's not abortion for you. What is it for you like right now, think about what is it that, that, that it just quickly comes to mind, the thing that brings you guilt and shame from 20 years ago, whatever. But, but you quickly come back to guilt and shame. To my brother and sister who have experienced abortion, and like, you're like, there's no way I can never get over that. And the brother here, he writes, forgive me, Lord, and help me to let go of myself. If we're holding on to that guilt, then we're holding on to some kind of concept that we still owe something, and you owe nothing. Like, like you still, some people don't even know it. Some people don't even know it. Like, you come in, and you come out, and you... Nobody really even knows, but you know, like in your heart, you're still downtrodden. 
and like you're still walking around here like you've got chains on your ankles, shackles on your ankles. And I'm saying to you, brother and sister, this morning, look down at your ankles because there are no shackles there. You are free. Like you owe nothing. You owe nothing. Isn't that awesome? You got me so excited. I don't even know where my notes are on this whole thing. I... Last group of people I'd like to address uh, as I wrap up here would be absolutely everybody in this congregation. And here's what I want to say to you this morning in unapologetic terms and with great conviction. I want to say to your Redeemer this morning, intervene for your most vulnerable and defenseless neighbor. Intervene. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Do that. Do that. Come to the aid of the least of these. And I'll say this, and, 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 and this is my opinion, but I have great conviction in this opinion, and I'll just say this. I believe that children on their way to an abortion facility, they are the least of the least of these in our community. I don't think you can get any more less than a child on its way to an abortion facility because on this side of eternity, their ultimate destiny is in a trash can. So you could debate it with me because it is my personal conviction. But I say it with much fervor. They are the least of the least of these. And I'm just saying, Redeemer, come to their aid. Come to their aid. There was a guy. Um, I, was, I, I, I have a home office, and a lot of times in my home office, I've got a TV that's playing because I'm a little bit ADD, and I just like, I like a lot of things moving around when I'm wherever I am. And, and so, you know, it's either an NFL network or some kind of cable news thing, but I cut cable. But this was a while back, and I had the cable news channel on, and the, the volume was down, and I glanced at it, and there was this image. I couldn't believe what I saw when I looked at this image. It was so startling to me that, that I had to turn the volume up, and, I, and I'm watching this play out. And w what happened was it was a story of uh, Gerald Wright in Michigan. It was years ago. And Mr. Wright, what happened was he was uh, at a convenience store and he was shot out in front of the convenience store. And um, to take refuge, he ran towards the convenience store to get some shelter. And as he opened the door to the convenience store, Mr. Wright expired right there in the doorway. That's where he passed, right there in the doorway. And if I hadn't seen it for myself, I wouldn't have believed it enough to even share it with you this morning, but I saw it. Like, what happened as soon as Mr. Wright expired in that doorway, as he passed away in that doorway, I, I couldn't believe it, the people just kept on coming in and out of the convenience store. And, and he was in the doorway, so they had to step over Mr. Wright to come into the convenience store. And I don't know. I mean, I guess your Slurpees and bubble gum and stuff like that is so important that, you know, but I was thinking somebody at some point is going to bend down and just ask Mr. Wright, how are you doing? You okay? Anything we can do for you? I mean, the minutes were excruciating as I watched this film. And the people just kept stepping over Mr. Wright. Now, he was blocking the doorway. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't easy to get around Mr. Wright. He was blocking it. 
And so when people would go in and out of the store, what they would do is they'd have to kind of leap over Mr. Wright. So if you understand, I don't even understand physics, but it's kind of basic, right? You got your full weight of your body. You leap over Mr. Wright. You hit that door. They weren't even kind enough to, to buffer the door as it came back down and hit Mr. Wright. And so I am watching this, and I'm going, this is insane. Like, this is not happening. I just kept watching these people go in and out of the convenience store, and the door just open, and then just slam on Mr. Wright. Open and slam. And I'm, I'm like yelling at the TV like I'm watching a football game, but so much worse. Redeemer, does that bother you at all, what I'm saying? Is it okay to just have a little righteous indignation? Does it make you just the least bit angry to hear this true story? One sister back there as I'm talking, she slams her hand down. I'm so glad for that righteous indignation. But if you don't mind, if I could just wax philosophical for one moment, let me ask you this question. What is practically the difference between what happened with Mr. Wright and then what we do in this community as we go about our day, day in and day out, and thousands of little ones are losing their lives, and we do nothing? Nothing. Philosophically, what is the difference? What is the difference? If you would, just write this down for me. Just real quick. I'm out of time, so you've got to write it down real quick. I want you to get your coffee. And Do we have donuts too, Cal and Dot? I mean, is that? Bagels. Bagels. We're more sophisticated here. Um, we have bagels, but if you would, just write this down really quick for me. And I just want you to write it down. Like if you have your iPhone or your Android, just maybe text yourself this or, or something. Just write it down. Don't look it up. Don't Google it. Don't look it up. Please just hold on to it. Just write it down. You ready? Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. Don't look it up. Please don't look it up right now. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. I'm going to recite it to you. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? One more time. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. And if you say, but Lord... Lord, we didn't know anything about this. We didn't know. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Doesn't he know what you know and what you don't know? He does. There's no place to hide, Adam. And so, so I get it with Redeemer. Like, Redeemer gets it. Like, your pastor public proclamation you know you're part of the walk and and volunteer training and there's other things that redeemer's talking about and like you're promoting the unplanned movie most churches are not promoting the unplanned movie 
Like, I get it. Corporately, I get it. Like, Redeemer gets it. But I want to talk to the individuals this morning. To the individuals. And I just want to ask the question, like, how did you respond? How did you respond? If we, if we don't come to the aid of our most vulnerable and defenseless neighbor, who's going to? There's so many good causes that we're in, right? There's plenty of, there's just so many good causes. But no matter how many good things we do, if we ignore our most vulnerable and defenseless neighbor, well, that is not living well for the gospel. To ignore them, to neglect them, is not a proclamation of the gospel. It's an insult to the gospel. And that's the nicest way I can say it. So church, we have to repent. Now, I didn't come to condemn you either. (laughs) I didn't come to condemn you either. I get it. Like, out of sight, out of mind, those 5,108 little ones that lost their lives in 2017, you probably didn't know any of their mothers. So, let me help you with this. I give you just a couple of baby steps, four quick baby steps, all right? And I gotta land the plane here quick because I know you need those bagels. Four quick baby steps and then we're out of here that you, you can do, like you can do to come to the aid of your neighbor. Baby step number one, the, the, the reference I just gave you, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 and 12, this is my challenge to you for the next seven days that you would look up that passage, that you would read that scripture. It'll take you 30 seconds to do this. Read that scripture Ask the Lord this one question. Lord, what would you have me to do? I don't need to be your Holy Spirit this morning. He is so capable. Read Proverbs chapter 24, 11 through 12, and ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? Baby step number two, pray. I know everybody's like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta mention prayer, like, but we can accomplish nothing without Jesus, right? We have to pray. If we're gonna repent, we gotta turn to God. We need him. We need him. When was the last time you prayed for these moms and babies? Here's one. Proverbs 6:17. God, it's an abomination. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. When was the last time you prayed for the abortionist? That's a struggle for me. But you know what? Have they done something so horrible that our King Jesus can't rescue them from it? No. No, Laura, you're right. He is an awesome rescuer. And I've seen abortionists repent, give up that practice, and turn to Jesus. I've seen it. I know some of them. We've we've been praying for this one woman in local Planned Parenthood who came out of there in the last year. Like God moves. So we pray. The third thing, I'd say this, like, even if you don't walk for life or you sponsor, however this works, there's a table out there. Lori Sitterling will be at that table. If you would, fill out a contact card, an information card for the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Tidewater. And I know what you're thinking right now. Well, now he's just been fundraising the whole time. He's just here to, to, to bring me in. That's not the point. I, we don't have enough money to send you mail every week, so don't worry about that. Okay, that's not going to happen. But I'm unapologetic in asking you to, to, to get connected with the Crisis Pregnancy Center because I know you don't know the 5,108 women that had abortions in 2017 or the thousands more in 2018 or the thousands more in 2019. 
But last year, we served 1,854 individual women. And I know of at least, and there were more, but these are the ones we knew about, there were 655 children who will take their first breath of air because of God's work in the hearts of their mothers through our ministry. And so, like, if you really want to do something, like, we're connected to the people where it's happening. And so I guarantee you if, you, if you just got the prayer card every month, you just get a prayer card and you just pray the prayers we're asking you to pray and you'll see a list of names of women whose who due dates are, are then. You, 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 could, you, would, you would know in a year's time, you would find something. God would have something for you. And what you might think is immaterial and small is huge to us. It's huge to this whole thing. So baby, step number three, I just ask you at the end, you know, I hope there's a line of people at the table to see Lori. And then baby step number four is really not a baby step because I'm asking you to literally walk and Carlos has already done a great job of that. So I don't really have to talk about that. The walk for life. So hopefully I'll see you at one of the three walks this year. Let's pray and close. Y'all already have another group of people coming in out there. I've gone over. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for your word. I am so grateful for Psalm 139. Lord, you are an awesome God. And we can't even begin to comprehend the work that you do just in how you spoke everything into existence and then you reserved your very breath for us and then you knit us together in the womb like you create. And how you use the mom and you use the dad and how you make all these things come about lord is awesome oh lord we thank you for who you are and who who we are and whose we are in christ father god i know there was somebody in here that has struggled with this before lord and i pray lord by the power of your spirit that they would know today they are free and they would live and embrace and relish the freedom. Relish it. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would empower us by your spirit to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray because there is no other name. And he is so awesome. He is everything. Amen? I'm gonna simultaneously pray for our offering I'm going to pray for Toby. Toby may not be a preacher by trade, but he has done the important job of a preacher uh, today, which is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So what would God have us do? Let's pray. Um, God, I do thank you for this man who I consider a hero of the faith. Lord, I pray that you would continue to lift him up, lift up his arms, that he may stand on the hill, continue to champion the rights of of the unborn. Watch over this precious ministry. Watch over his family and bless him, Lord, as he stands in harm's way for kids. And we pray for our offering, Lord. May you bless it. May you use it to further and build up your church. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.